It's Wednesday. We know you missed us. It's the 4 to 5 window on KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. You know what that means, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Sports Zoo. Welcome back after a brief hiatus last week. We are back on the show. My name is Zach Zaffron, joined by my co-host Jacob Nidig for your weekly rendition of your favorite Stanford sports show, as well as your other sporting news. Joining us today in studio is a special guest. Last time on air, we had a long-awaited guest join us. This one, perhaps you guys have been waiting even longer for him to come on air. None other than Bay Area native, Stanford legend, Cameron Vaughn. Cameron, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, Long-time fan of the show, first time being on it. Really excited to be here. Uh, Thanks to the guys for having me. been in the Bay Area my whole life, grew up just down the street, Stanford fan whole time, and uh, it's been an honor of a lifetime to be able to come here and, and continue to be a fan while being a student, and now that that time is wrapping up, glad to hop on the show and you know maybe make a little call over the radio before I get going. Absolutely, and so Cam Vaughn here, someone that's giving back a lot in the community, coaches water polo, has been very, very involved in, in your murals at various times. And now kind of turning into a huge fan of, I mean, various teams, but especially the Stanford women's basketball team. Let's just jump in with them. What have you seen lately from that team that has caught your eye this season? You know, I think uh, this year the way that they've been running their offense has been really awesome to watch. Uh, Not a lot of teams in recent times, both on the men's and women's side, have been running uh, the two-post offense. It's been a lot of four-round one. And I think that the play that we've been getting out of the uh, two forwards on the team, Cameron Brink and Kiki Iriathan, has been just absolutely fantastic. And then the guard play around them has been really good and, and cons- uh, continuing to get the ball movement uh, at a really high level, as well as finding opportunities for those guards to pull shots uh, when those bigs are covered up down low. It, you really have to pick uh, you know, where you're going to get beat when Stanford's on the court, and they've been doing a fantastic job uh, kind of forcing those matchups. Yeah, I mean, like you said, two bigs and two talented bigs, really era-defining bigs uh, that Stanford has. Everyone talks about Cameron Brink, and, you know, for good reason. Uh, but Kiki Irioffen, what a year she's had at this point in the year, actually leading Stanford in points with 19 points per game. Uh, might I add 55.5% from the field, as is Cameron Brink really, you know, matching those metrics. How did the two compare and kind of complement each other? So I think the two of them work really well um, because they both do a really good job of uh, sealing when they're in that position. And I think that the compliment that you're alluding to is the fact that you can't guard both at the same time. In a lot of these offenses, the bigs get clumped up down low or they'll get stuck up high, but that creates uh, fewer lanes for ball movement. So I think the, the way that I would respond to that is just by saying they both do their jobs really well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I think, too, uh, Kiki Iriafin has really shown an ability to find the mid-range jumper uh, as of late. Cam Brink has, you know, doesn't shoot the three as much as someone like Hannah Jump or or anyone else, but she has 41 attempts on the year. Kiki Iriafin has five, but the mid-range of Kiki Iriafin, she gets those elbow elbow jumpers in, some of those mid-range baseline jumpers. I think that, like, just is adds more spacing to the floor, too, for the offense to work with. Now, uh, with the guards, I mean, 
you know, that point guard position has really been a question mark for quite a while. Uh, even beyond that, though, really, who the predominant ball handler um, year in and year out for Stanford has been uh, in the last few years since their national championship run. For you, uh, what has the role of Talana Lapolo looked like in her sophomore season? I think she's really stepped up in a big way. Um, I, I've been a big fan of her uh, work this year. I think she's done a really good job of facilitating that offense. Uh, she looks to move the ball well. She does a great job uh, with ball security. And I think one of her biggest strengths is something that we've been seeing a little bit more, which is the cut to the hoop and then getting in a position where she, she can either uh, shoot or pass it off and get an open look outside. That ability to just cut to the rim um, and sort of make the defense have to step up and double you off creates a lot of opportunities for the other talented scorers as well. 100%. I mean, a lot of big names on a big name program. Kiki Irioff and Cameron Brink, Hannah Jump, uh, all been around for three plus years at this point. Uh, a lot of fresh faces as well. People see in the court who may have been on the team in the past and just didn't quite get that playing time. Who in really their first big opportunity this year has surprised you? I think Brooke has been the big step up this year. Um, and I don't know that I would necessarily surprise, but I think that she's the person that when I look to, uh, you know, made her first career start the other day, uh, was fantastic, looks um the, the form on the shot is amazing, and it's just one of those things. Every, every time she's on the court, um, you know, a lot of times when you when you talk about having that first person off the bench, there's often um, sort of an implied lack in in play that comes along with it, and that you're now playing with, you know, trying to get rest. I think that she's also, you know, a plus player as well, being that first one in, especially when either of the bigs picks up a foul. Um, and I think that that the, the quality of play is, has been really high. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think paired right with that, Nunu Agar coming off the bench with her is is a really a pretty formidable one-two combo. Agara averaging seven point two points per game. She has she's come in every game and provides solid minutes to those two off the bench. I feel like give Tara so much depth uh, that that she can use really however she wants this year. And, and again, it's just that big play. For those of you who don't know, Brooke, Brooke Dimitri, a junior from Southern California, can really shoot it from any spot in the court, uh, in any fashion, really, in the post, in the mid-range, from behind the arc. Uh, so obviously a lot of talented, uh, taller players on this team. Um, so rebounding, a strength for sure. But I am curious, what kind of scares you when you look at this team when, when it's Stanford, when it's Tara Vanderveer at the helm, you have national championship aspirations. Do you think that's a realistic goal? And if not, or if so, really, what will hold this team back? Nothing. The answer is nothing. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, when we're when the team is firing on all of its cylinders, I think that they are are very very difficult to beat. And I don't know if I have a team in mind. That I would say, oh yeah, you know, if they were to go up against head to head and everyone's got their A game, then you know Stanford ends up losing. Really. Um, that being said, I think there are some other fantastic programs in the women's basketball world, and I think that uh, the tournament this year, especially, is going to be super competitive. And so it's not so much a question of can they win a national championship; it's can they get uh, to a point where they're really you know, playing their best basketball and then sustain that level of basketball for the whatever uh, six games that you would need to win. I think that's really the bigger thing. And, and that's why we see so many upsets 
um, because it takes only one off night. It really only, not even that, one bad quarter yeah. in the tournament is enough to end your run. And so can can Stanford play good enough basketball to not have a bad quarter, I think, is the bigger question. And, and that's where, you know, that's really hard to answer. Definitely. I, mean, I would like to hope so. Like you said, this is a team that can win a national championship. But not everyone, at least from the get-go, thought that. Right now, they're sitting nice and dandy at number four in the country. But started the year looking from outside of the top 15, or right there at number 15, um, you know, it seems as though you may know the sentiment from uh, within the locker room, or at least from an intimate fan. What was the mindset um, that this team came to the season with, knowing that, hey, these media writers, these people, these fans, whoever it is, doesn't think that we're even going to be, you know, a top 15 program this year? You know, it's it's hard for me to say as a fan, uh, because I definitely, you know, first to acknowledge I have a bias. However, I do think that 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 sort of an evaluation where they say, yeah, we, you know, we think you're going to be good, but we don't think you're going to be you know, quite as good as you've been. That's the sort of thing that if you are a good team, that's going to light a fire under you. Yeah, you're going to you want it twice as bad. And I think that's what we've been seeing. And I think that especially right at the beginning of the year, the top 15 matchup against Indiana, where they came out and it was just all Stanford all day, and there was nothing that that really could have been done. Um, if, you, it, if you're a Hoosiers fan, it was ugly. Yeah, if you're if you were yeah, but the the um, the feeling in electric what uh, the feeling in Maples, excuse me, was electric. And you could tell that the team, like they want it. It goes back to what I was saying earlier: is can, can it be sustained? But I think with regards to that early season stuff, um, that helped jumpstart them. And and now they're in, they're in a position where I believe they're they're number four right now. Uh, that if they keep the pressure on, then they should be hosting again. And yeah, like you said, a lot of electric moments. Uh, you know, for an electric team. Yeah, and, and I mean, one of those obviously the win. For Coach Tara, in your opinion, how do you, I mean the team comes back after that game with a huge win against Arizona State and then an equally big win against Arizona? Is that something that is distracting for a team, or do you think that adds into the motivation, or, or kind of what's the mindset if you had to to guess? Whenever you have such a big uh, milestone to pass, similar to Caitlin Clark in Iowa right now, she's chasing down the scoring record. How, how do teams cope with something like that during the year? You know, I, I think that that's something that certainly is on the minds of the team. And I know that uh, like some of the players have certain milestones that have been broken as well. Hannah Jump took the all-time shooting record for three-pointers for Stanford. Um, I don't know exactly where Cameron Brink is with blocks, but I know it's... Uh, there, there's yeah. She has a lot of them. Uh, and there's, there's a couple other things, I think, that are like that... Um, on the team this year, as well as, you know, Tara breaking the record, uh, an amazing career she's had and, and continues to have. Uh, but I think that's the, it isn't the focal point. Those are nice things to have along the way, but the motivation is to go win, not just, you know, the national title, but every game and then win every quarter. And so I think that uh, being able to sort of shrink that, shrink those goals down into like bite sized chunks uh, will help them continue. Yeah, and I mean, this weekend, a huge weekend for the Cardinal playing number 15 USC and number 7 UCLA, who's led by a formal Cardinal in Lauren Betts, former number one player, transfers to UCLA. She's one of 10 players on a watch list 
with Cameron Brink for best center in the country. What are what are y'all looking for out of the Cardinal this weekend as they have two top twenty five ranked matchups here at, at Maples? Hey man, when someone disses your program like that, you know, doesn't even spend more than uh, how much time, I don't know how much time a day she gave the Cardinal, all right? This was an opportunity of a lifetime, and just because it didn't come to you so easily, just because it wasn't gift-wrapped, put on a silver platter and you step away, if I'm everyone else, I'm sticking it to that. Not to name names, all right? Maybe we probably all know who I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, even individual uh I'm not going to call it beef, but, you know, opinions aside, this is a UCLA team that was number two in the country just a week ago. I mean, the Pac-12 has so much turmoil that if you take one misstep, or as, as Cam over there said, if you have one quarter that you have a misstep, your season could be toast. UCLA now fourth in the conference, sitting at 5-3 and three in conference play and 16-3 and three overall. Uh, I think Stanford knows that one misstep and they're done for. You know, whether it's UCLA whether it's Oregon State, heck, even if it's Arizona State who's at the bottom of the conference right now. And like you said, can they sustain that greatness? I think the way they've playing, they're showing, yes, they can. I agree. And um, you know something that you briefly touched on there, uh, the level of play that's going to be coming to the farm this weekend is absolutely fantastic. And if you haven't been to a game uh, this season and you're, you're in the area and you're thinking about it, these are two great games to come to. Friday and Sunday, I think these are just going to be real showcases of uh, sort of what that level of basketball looks like. Top 15 match Is USC still ranked in the top 15? Yeah, number 15 right now. Perfect. So top 15 matchups, uh, really, I mean, it, the winner, if, if either team is able to sweep this weekend, that puts them in, in a really good spot to win the Pac-12 in its final season. And so I think that the, the pressure um, will not be so much you know, just like the the rivalry that these schools have with one another, and, and great storied rivalries, uh, UCLA, USC, and Stanford, um, all with with their own rivals with one another. But especially with knowing the season kind of hangs in the balance if you're looking to win the regular season. Tournament's a different thing, and and obviously all of these teams we would hope would uh, get a bid to the NCAA tournament. But regular season champs does count for something in my book. Well, and you know who has a lot of them is obviously Tara Vanderveer. I mean, an inordinate amount of uh, strung together regular season Pac-12 championships. Uh, we just spoke about the fact that she's surpassed uh, Coach K for the most wins all time, regardless of men's or women's in college history. What does that mean for her legacy? Does that really put punctuation on what we all already kind of knew? Does it solidify anything in particular or is it just kind of something they're pat on to a title that some might call the greatest coach of all time not just in college but in basketball yeah I mean I think it has to put her in in well she's in the conversation she's been in the conversation but I do think this adds just another uh like strike as to why she is potentially the goat the, the longevity of her career, the tenure of her career, the ability that, that, that she's done it with so many different teams, uh, I think just speaks to how good she is. I think the only thing you, you look at now is maybe like championships. You start comparing coaches that have championships, but even that is so hard to do. So I don't know. In my opinion, I, I think she's really cemented herself as uh, one of the people that has the greatest arguments for coach of all time.
you know, I don't want to touch that portion of the question. Uh, I I will say, however, with regards to the does the Pac-12 add anything the regular season title? I think it does. And the reason I think that is when we look more broadly at just sports in general, there are some fantastic players and some fantastic coaches who have never won a ring. Um, And Tara has three, um, done a fantastic job in that regard. Uh, Not a question there. But I think that some of the best teams that we've seen play and some of the best coaching that we've seen play ultimately does come a little short. Because, again, it's can you be perfect on that that night. And so when you're talking about – a body of work and, and a resume. I always think back to uh, in the postseason, 2014, Madison Bumgarner, with quite possibly the greatest pitching performance of all time over the course of that World Series. I'm a Giants fan. Grew up a Giants fan. <laughs> but, you know, that that's amazing and that's wonderful, but that's like a very isolated incident. You have to look at the whole career. And so with Tara, whether or not they win the Pac-12 this year, whether or not they, they win the tournament, whatever, you look at the, the whole career and the, the program that she has built, and I think that that's where you have to do your evaluations. Yeah, so if we, we focus back in on this year, is it national championship or bust with this team? I mean, Ooh. What, 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 rephrase that question a little bit. Uh, I think this team come, came in with, you know, people were unsure of what they were going to do. Now... They're very successful out of conference slate. In conference slate is looking good. They're top five. Many people would say that the expectations are a very deep run in the postseason and everything else is a failure. Similarly to how volleyball this year, they had returning seniors. They had a deep run that got upset in the Elite Eight last year. Now this year, the expectations were national championship or bust obviously you still have a great year you win the pac-12 you win the pac-12 tournament you go to maybe the sweet 16 that would be a great year but is the expectation a national championship this year with this roster that stanford and coach tara has i would say personally i think the word expectation with regards to anything in the postseason is is simply uh, a great way to get yourself beat that's a coach right there. I, <laughs> I think I think you have to play every game, every minute of every game, every possession of every game, and to 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 expect a national title um, would be to set yourself up for failure. Yeah. I think you go earn a national title. I think that you, if you for whatever reason fall short, you understand where the shortcomings were. You work to get better. Um, but do I think, as we once said, that can they win one? Yes. Would I like to see one? Absolutely. Um, but no, I don't think it'd be a failure. Okay, so keeping the heat on you here, CV, keeping the heat on you. First round exit, I think we would all probably say, is somewhat of a disappointing end to what otherwise has been so far a great season. Where is kind of that spot where you would you would say let down ends and you now are in like a, okay, that was an unfortunate ending but still like a great season or where is it sweet 16 is it elite eight where where's kind of that sweet spot where it's no longer like wow this was a great team that got upset in the round of 64 or wherever that was if maybe even not that round sure um and, and you better be thinking too zach because you're on the spot I, next i already have an answer <laughs> all right zach you want to go i mean it's got to be elite eight surely last year losing the round of 32 right that was an 
like I, I don't know how to put it bluntly, an utter disappointment. And that's just what happens when you have a talented crew. That's not to say that um, it was a poor performance or anything. It's just that you are such a great team, and normally that translates to a different outcome for sure. Um, I would expect they get past that Sweet 16. You still have a fair amount of teams in the field, um, you know, specifically within your region. I suppose it shakes out on what the seeding is, but I would almost anticipate that you get at least that far. Then the pressure's turned on when you're fighting for a spot to, geez, I don't even know where it is this year. Um, a couple, you know, when you're fighting for a final four spot and you're in that Elite Eight, all right, you know, spotlight is on. You fall short. It is what it is. You've had an amazing run to cap off a tremendous season. Um, you know, am I going to say that that is something to be proud of? Absolutely. I would say even if you're a first-round exit, it's a season to be proud of. Um, but where does the disappointment or rather the shortcomings end? I would say it's going to be in that Elite Eight stage. This is a team that is, like you said, can win a national championship. Um, will they? That's about sustained excellence. But even without sustained excellence, I, I really do think at far from their best, this team is fully capable of getting past that Sweet 16. Yeah, and so in the road, it's the road to Cleveland, Ohio this year. That's where the, the uh, land, yeah. the land. Yeah. So now b- back to you, Cam. Where do you? Is there a round that you you think you'd echo a similar sentiment to Zach? Uh, yes. And I say this again with a with a big uh, asterisk uh, because of as I've you know said my views on what the postseason is, uh, but I, I think I agree with Zach. Which is, um, I think that the the ability and the talent that we've seen on display, the level of work um, that they go out and do, uh, the ability to to come from behind and also to manage a lead and be resilient and fight through. I, I think in, in previous years we've seen a lot of uh, trouble in the third and fourth quarter, um, and I think this year they've really cleaned that up to a large degree, uh, with their one loss being to a very very formidable. Colorado team. There's a gritty win against Utah, who is also a fantastic team. Um, and so I think that, you know, when you start to get into those final couple games, that's when it really is like who who had it today and, and who doesn't have it today. Um, but I think in terms of the, the quality of their roster construction, the way that they can run their offense, when, especially when their posts are playing foul free, how long they can play for. Yeah. Um, I have to agree with Zach. That being said, I would take a step back and say that that no outcome in the postseason is necessarily a dis- disappointment. Yeah, because it can be, uh, you know, in, in my sporting career, I've had games where we, if you played them ten times, you would win nine of those games. But that one day, every single one of their players had their best game, and they beat you. And like at some point, you do have to tip your cap. Now, if it's a situation where we have like really sloppy play. 15 20 turnovers uh and it it just looks like we're playing bad basketball you know then you can have a different conversation but i'm hesitant to be like oh if they don't do blank it's a disappointment because there's so many things that can happen in that space yeah and and i think yeah that was maybe slightly poorly worded on my part because i think we both definitely echo that that sentiment as well well where's where's your head at with that jacob uh i think i don't know i i almost i think elite eight I, I kind of go back and forth between Elite Eight and Sweet Sixteen. I think like this team has played phenomenally. Like both the bigs, Hannah Jump's been great. 
Uh, the ball handling has been great. We have depth, but also like Cameron Brink just missed their first game. You don't really know what injuries are going to happen. You don't know like who's going to shoot the ball poorly. And I think once you get into the Sweet 16, especially mo- any team in the Sweet 16 has enough talent that if they show up on the right day and you don't show up, they could they could beat you. So I think I would maybe even say Sweet 16. But again, that's why March Madness is so fun and so torturous because you don't bring it one day and your season's over. Like it, it's the beauty and the 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 pain of the sport when it comes to that. And and like CV laid out, I mean, sometimes a team that will win nine out of ten times doesn't come out on top. And I think that that's just kind of what playoff and championship basketball is about. Sometimes the national champion is not always the best team yet. Uh, Otherwise, the Cowboys would win the Super Bowl every year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> um, well, Stanford, you said, you know, is capable of beating any team, including, at least I would guess, number one and only team that's left to be undefeated, South Carolina. Um, when you do look at the top of this AP polls, just to run it down the top five, you have South Carolina at one, Kansas State at two, Caitlin Clark and Iowa at three, Stanford at four, and North Carolina State at five. Uh, is there anyone that really does make you shake in your boots? I mean, I think we have to respect uh, the season that South Carolina has put together so far. Yeah. Uh, just last week, was watching, managed to uh, come back and then hold off LSU, defending national champions. Um, and I think that it, it's... Are they unbeatable? No. I, I think in the top like eight teams, uh, all of those teams when playing each other like you're you're seeing some really really high level basketball and every time you play a game one of them's going to lose you know what i mean that being said um sorry say the question again just who are you worried about down the stretch ah yeah i mean you. just just you know you look out there at the field there's a lot of talent you have south carolina who even though they replaced every single starter from last year is undefeated still uh iowa and caitlin clark although they just fell still up there and you don't, you know you're gonna get gotcha. who knows what every night uh, so for me the way that i look at these programs and, and i tend to do this in sports in general is what is the culture that they have built regarding the way that they they run their program mm-hmm. uh and i think that that's why you're talking about south carolina replacing all their players like they're able to do that because they build they have a program there that's built out, and then their freshman and sophomore, when it's time to step up, fit seamlessly into those roles. And it happens uh, in all of the different sporting worlds. But, you know, there there is one thing, which is there is no substitute for experience. And so I would say, just generally, I tend to be more worried when I see seniors and fifth years in the starting lineup, yeah. just because the the number of preventable mistakes tends to go down. And that's why college athletics is also... I think a lot more fun to watch than pro athletics a lot of the time, yeah. just because the pros it's it's so um, so much more predictable. You know, you, you see so many fumbles at you know the the high school level that you don't see in college, and then in college that you would never see in the pro level, and and that's true of all of the different sports. Totally. But I don't have a specific team that I'd be worried about. No. Yeah, team. I'm gonna just go ahead and throw out there is UConn. I mean, no one should be surprised given their history, but even this week. You know, lost by to Notre Dame by I think it was like twelve or fifteen or something like that. They were on a ten or a thirteen game win streak. I think whenever you get into March Madness, it's about the team that's most hot. Colorado just lost to Oregon State. They've lost two of their last four, but we've already seen they can beat high quality teams. You look at 
someone like LSU without Angel Reese, like maybe they're not as good. UCLA's now lost two. So I think it's kind of hard to predict now just because it's all about who's playing well at the right time, who's peaking during March. But UConn is a team that I think, especially with, with how that roster is constructed, could be kind of a dark horse that isn't necessarily getting much attention after how they played this week. Well, you know, they're actually playing right now. Oh, I didn't even realize they've that. got a uh, they've got a close game going with Villanova. All, all four players left on the roster who don't have season ending injuries. Well, that was I was going to bring up in the more general sense, and and I really do hope those players are you know um, healing quickly and and that their careers will continue to be uh, very good when they return from those injuries. But just more generally, when we talk about you know things that I'm worried about. I want to know how the Stanford roster handles injuries. Yep. We really haven't right now and then and uh, haven't had to do much. And with Cameron Brink last week out back playing very well, looks to be like that was just a minor little, you know, uh, incident on the court. But the I as a fan, um, I think you really see the real test of what a team is made of when one of one or two of their starters comes out of that starting rotation and is, has to play limited minutes. Yeah. And so when we're talking about making a, a run, I really want to see the team stay healthy. 100%. A, a prerequisite almost. And for I'd say for certain positions more than others. You have Kiki and Cam, not to say that they're interchangeable, but they both are so capable. If one goes down, the other will step up. Uh, to really bring it full circle and really a grander theme over these last few years is if Talana Lopolo goes down, that is where I'm really going to be concerned who is going to be the one handling the ball pressure who's going to be the one bringing the ball up the court making plays running the offense uh she very well could be the key to this team with staying healthy and making everything happen you pull her out it's like jenga i'm scared to see what would happen and you know i think that they have some really talented young ball handlers um but again we're talking about experience and she's gotten the minutes this year, uh, especially in those sort of high pressure and, and down the stretch situations. Um, one thing that you know potentially scares me is um, the turnover issue that we've had. Yep. Uh, it rears his head every once in a while. Looking like Jared Hass's team out here. Some. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, crazy. But that is, <laughs> that is one thing where uh, where it, it is something that. Um, when you talk about preventable mistakes, right, and, and things that you can do to win the game as opposed to things that you can do uh, to not help the other team win the game, cleaning up the turnovers and making sure that uh, the passes that we're making are sound, even if it doesn't necessarily result in a scoring opportunity, takes away those transition balls. And I think back to the Florida State game uh, where we had a little bit of trouble shooting. It was in a different environment. And the, the what kept that game close was the physicality of the play, as well as uh, the scoring in transition and the scoring on those those breakaway layups, and I think that um, the real test for the Stanford roster is going to be in a high pressure situation, making sure they continue to take care of that ball uh, and aren't forcing looks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in our two losses, those were our highest turnover game and our third highest turnover game. So that obviously is something that plays a huge role in you know just kind of how the the team responds to every play and also just losing that many possessions makes it hard to score enough points to win. Like, Well, one of the things that's been a little different this year also has been the looks that we've been getting from three. Yeah, And uh, teams have figured out that you just 
can't let Hannah Jump have a window. Yeah, not even Honestly, a window, like half a window, maybe a third of a window, she, like she, literally anywhere with in, hand in your face. It, yeah. It's uh, it's gotten to the point where most teams, it would seem from the stands, play a full press all game with no help coverage, which is an incredible marker of respect. But at the same time, I, I think that that then we have to be capitalizing and getting looks from our other shooting guards. And I think that um, the, you know, I don't know exactly what the solution would be, but I do think that we need to make sure um, that the other guards feel confident in their shot and they're willing to pull it. I know the other day we we saw Kiki actually take two threes. Back to back. Which was awesome. Super cool. Um, But, you know, it's, uh, don't, we shouldn't be relying on, our post to go get open in the corner. Um, instead, we need to generate some off-ball movement so that they have better looks. And that's been one of the things this season, I think, that's been hard is balancing our threats from three with our threats from down low. Because when you play a four against one, you're generating more looks from beyond the arc. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about another pillar and key to the puzzle. Uh, just like Lapolo, I think if you take Hannah Jump out, everything kind of falls apart. Yeah, you relieve that outside pressure, then they're going to start clogging the lanes. They're going to start digging into the posts. It's really going to fall apart. I mean, Hannah, no one even comes close to having half as many three point attempts as her, much less makes. So, yeah, certainly, yeah. I think she's like a little under fifty away from breaking the Pac twelve record, like forty forty something. Yeah, 40, yeah, 40, I, I saw that graphic the other day. Yeah. Um, but but. I, you know, and, and something other, we'll talk about Hannah Jump just for a second here, fifth year. Um, she is somebody who I think really commands the floor. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, in the stands or, or someone that like, you know, likes to watch when people score, you maybe aren't paying a ton of attention to. Um, but it's, it's noticeable, especially in that Colorado game, when she got in foul trouble early, which is very rare. You hardly ever see her pick up two fouls in a game. And to have two in the same, you know, whatever, 45 second span doesn't happen often. But, when she came out of that game, something that I noticed was defensively, our assignments looked a little bit mismatched. It didn't seem like there was someone directing traffic the same way. And I'm, I wonder what that looks like if she ends up in foul trouble again, what Tara's plan is going to be to help with that on-floor leadership um, you know, from someone who has such a mind for the game. And that's, that's just part of the veteran presence, right. too. especially exactly. once you get rid of Haley Jones, who really was that commander. Uh, next up is Hannah Jump, but past that, it's it's not clear cut, like you said, Cameron. Yeah. So, oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say one thing when you when you said championship or bust, um, you know, in college athletics, I guess it's always championship or bust, right? Because you get a new roster every year, and people end up going pro or, or onto different things in their lives. Um, but I do think with this year, one of the things that I would like to see, uh, or would like as a fan to know more about, is how the culture of leadership is being passed down to the younger players on the roster. Uh, we had some transfer outs. So right now, I think the only senior is, is Cameron Brink, right? Yeah, and then right. fifth-year senior and Hannah Jump. And potentially there, I mean, I think Hannah's. this is Hannah's last year. Does Cameron have one more? I, I think she could use the COVID year of eligibility okay. to come back one more time. But I don't, but I don't know. But we, we don't know. And it's very possible. I think the posturing is that probably I've been seeing projections that she could potentially go fairly high right yeah so you have to wonder you know what are we, what is uh, Tara and and the team doing to instill the leadership in the next set of players to step up um, and and have that person on the floor that can really control the flow of the game um, I would love to know more yeah well 
It's January 31st. You talk about March Madness. The championship's really in April, so we are a ways away. But, uh, CV, if you know anything about this show, it's that we love to make predictions. Um, All right. If you, uh, you know, I think starting with the Pac 12, not necessarily talking about outcomes, but more so just ordering, given mm. so many good teams, how you kind of see that conference shake out in their final year of existence and play. Uh, right now, it is in the top four, Stanford, Colorado, Oregon State, and UCLA. And below those two are both ranked teams in Utah and USC to round out the top six. Uh, and then after that, we'll jump into national championship predictions where, you know, it is anyone's ball game, really. Uh, yeah, I'm just pulling up on my... So I can yeah, see I, I can go ahead and start. Go ahead. I mean, I, I think Stanford, the way we've been playing, if we stay healthy... We end up number one. Uh, I've been really impressed with Oregon State and UCLA. I think UCLA actually bounces back from, even though this was a tough week for them, obviously two losses, one of those being against Washington State, who was 14-6 and six at the time. I think they have the pieces. I think Lauren Betts has proven that she's one of the best centers in the country. They have enough guard play. They're well coached. I think they you know, get things back on track, and then... I don't. I I really like the play of Oregon State and their best player in the post beers. So I think those three teams could end up in the top three. But I think Stanford, if they stay healthy, given that we're a whole game ahead of anyone and kind of control our own destiny, has a has a great journey um, to potentially ending the last season on top here in the Pac-12. And we have is it nine conference games left? So uh, I think I think so. Yeah. About right. Yeah. So, I would echo, I think, a lot of what you said. Um, I think that Utah had a couple tough games. One of their losses was a very close game to the, to the Cardinal. And uh, I think they, they were projected to win the Pac-12, like, preseason. Yeah. Um, I think we have Stanford up top. I think that they continue the level of play. They have the added benefit of not having to play the Mountain or L.A. schools a second time this year. Which is also a benefit to those schools because they don't have to play us again. <laughs> yeah. So you know, however, I do think um, that ha- not having to play two very very difficult matchups a second time uh, does definitely help with overall win loss percentage. If we're just looking at like who's going to come out of the regular season, yeah. um, this is the same problem that the Pac-12 has in every sport, and that's why it was such an awesome conference. <laughs> Everybody can beat everybody. It's so sad you said it was an awesome conference, you know? I we, I should enjoy the time we have left. <laughs> I am Most excited. Most of the ship is sunk, though. I, yeah. I am excited for Pac-12 baseball still. But, um, you know, it, it is one of those things where, at this point, um, everyone can beat everyone. And I, I, we just saw this weekend Oregon State playing some really nice basketball and picking up both wins there. Um, two lo- Two wins on the road. Right, they went to LA and got the job done. So, not a team that I would have necessarily expected to do that, but a team that's doing it now. And so, I guess my my take would be it, uh, Stanford up top. I think we see uh, Colorado stay in that second spot. I think Oregon State finishes third, and then I think we see Utah over UCLA, uh, and I think Wazoo actually comes up top over SC. Wow! And the reason I say that is I think that the USC uh, offense is very one-dimensional. Um, and I think that when, especially when the games that I've watched, when they get down, they tend to struggle with maintaining composure. 
in terms of finding scoring opportunities. And so I think that that's one of those situations where you get a you get a bad game that gets worse. But I also know that uh, Wazoo, I think just recently, one of their best players went down with an injury. Can someone check that? Our statistician intern will get on that. Yeah. yeah. We should have an answer in the next But So that that, they, that may then change uh, my prediction there, um, which I would then switch Wazoo and USC. Yeah. So Basketball guard Charlize Walker missing the remainder of the season yeah. due to a right ACL tear. Okay. So then... That's I you know, I really hope she's she's doing okay and and is able to recover from that speedily. Um, but a man of sportsmanship and class, exactly. He is. Wow. But you know that I guess that would impact my prediction a little bit, which is I now think could be a coin flip between yeah. USC and Washington. So State. not not a fan of the LA schools. You know, shout out Juju Watkins. But <laughs> it, is a, it is a team sport. So fantastic player, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that uh, she's going to be one of those players that continues to get better. Uh, still re- still a freshman, right? Yes. You know. Yeah. So it's going to continue to get better and continue to run that offense. Uh, and already at a really high-level production, I think only second in, in scoring per game to Caitlin Clark, who you know was doing incredible things over in Iowa. But Certified dog. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I actually would love to see in the postseason, we'll, I guess we'll move on to this in a second, but I would love to see Stanford-Iowa. Oh, I okay. think that would be a fantastic oh, yeah. game. Would Hannah Jump be tasked with guarding her, or who? Who's is it? Brooke or who's <sighs> guarding her? That be the game we all realize Hannah Jump is really just a better Caitlin Clark. I, don't, I mean, I, I don't that's know. That's definitely not off the table. I'll, I'll take Hannah Jump eight times out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I would. I, you know, that's one of those things where I think Caitlin Clark is such a fantastic scorer. Um. I would be curious to see. I, I I have this. It the the meta of the game in the Big Ten is a lot more like so, sort of similar to the NBA in that they play less defense. Yeah. I think, and so I would be curious to see with these some of these very defensively heavy West Coast schools what that matchup ends up looking like because the style of play in that conference lends itself to more scoring opportunities which she does a fantastic job taking advantage of you know what i mean like no shame there but i would be interested to see like the defensive uh, capability of Hannah Jump who's a much improved defender this year statistically speaking has been doing a great job also Cameron Brink and Kiki often down low as well as the other Talana who's been very good on defense so far um, and then Elena Boscana is usually their other starting guard. Yeah, um, I imagine it probably would be Hannah. Yeah, that's what I, the only thing is th- I could see Kaylin Clark like bringing her into the low post a little bit. I don't really know. I, I feel like you'd probably have to double her too. Anyways, I don't really know enough about Iowa's roster other than yeah. What are their other scoring? Do they have five? Scoring threats. All I'm saying is, you know, both Hannah and Caitlin, incredibly, incredibly talented players, but. Put them in each other's positions in in terms of throw throw uh, Hannah over in Iowa. Sorry to do that to you, by the way. Uh, and put Caitlin in Stanford system and see what happens. You know, I think a lot of this is situation based. Yeah, well, Hannah's averaging at least thirty five. <laughs> I was going to say if you're giving her that many open looks, because yeah. yeah. you know one of the things is is that Hannah's uh, three point percentage has been a little bit down this year. But then if you also go pull the tape, and, and if you're just a box score person, that probably you're like a little worried about. If you go pull that tape, the shots that she's getting and still managing to hit are, uh, I suppose I'll say, very, very high level. 
she I does mean, not have daylight. Three people in your face. It's ridiculous. Like, no matter where you are, you, that's bound to happen. And you and you're just not seeing. Not to say that Caitlin Clark uh, isn't a fantastic shooter, but you're not seeing that in the Big Ten. And so I think that that would be like I'm very curious to see the, especially because I think women's college basketball has really started to get sort of conference specific in the styles of play. Um, I I just I'm curious to see how they all mesh in the postseason. It's it's like football, uh, where you get to see like a West Coast air raid offense go up against <laughs> a Big Ten just ground and pound, <laughs> and it's just such an it's so fun to watch the different ways to play the game. Yeah, you know, it's like a good par five, a lot of ways to play. Thank God Iowa doesn't have to put up with a women's basketball team that plays like their football team. I don't know. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. That, if they would be, I don't know if they'd be <laughs> filling football stadiums if they if that was happening. You know, they they made like a Detroit trade where Detroit traded their basketball team to be good at football, and and Iowa traded their like football offense to have Caitlin Clark. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, under two minutes to go. We the two minute drill. <laughs> two minute drill. Cameron Vaughn, women's basketball expert. It's time to get down to business. What we're all here for, your 2024 National Championship prediction. You want my Final Four or just straight up? Final Four, of course. So we'll go Final Four. I think we see South Carolina. I think we see Stanford. I think we see Iowa. so bold. (laughs) Three real favorite predictions there. Uh, And then I'm actually going to go out on a limb and say, I think LSU. No, you literally my four. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, I'll pick a different one. I'll pick a different one. Okay, say that they don't quite pull it together. Uh, maybe they have like an Elite ex- 8 exit or something. Um, let's see. In that case, I'm going to go with another Pac-12 school. I'm going to say Utah Whoa. makes a run. I like that. Well, it's, it sounds like we know yours, Jacob. I, I thought you were going to go along with mine, Cameron, because my four would be South Carolina, Iowa, Stanford, and Colorado rounding it out. If the seeding works, you know, if they're able to get on a different side, yeah, it's all seeding dependent. Yeah, uh, I I like that. I like that. Absolutely. So with that, we'll go ahead and throw it on over to the next show. You've been listening here to KZSU ninety point one FM, the Sports Zoo. Sports Zoo. My name is Jacob Nidig. Joined with my co-host Zach Safran and a longtime fan good friend and even better commentator here, Cameron Vaughn.